my inner voice said, well, now you need to go because you can talk to this person and you're fine with who they are, but you could never be in a relationship with this person because they've got a penis. And the next morning I woke up and I thought, why the hell did my inner voice tell me that? That's not in my best interest. I wish I could have gotten to know this person better. Who knows where that might have led? And that was one of the first really strong cases of where I thought to myself, my inner voice is not my friend. You are listening to Sex Without Fear, where we talk sex, society, and everything in between. Make sure to subscribe right now on your phone, wherever you're listening, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or any of the major platforms, so that you can get new episodes right to your phone. And find us on our Instagram for all the new episodes, merch, polls, all that good stuff. Send me some fan mail. Our handle there is at sexwithoutfear. And I'm your host, Amber Radical, and you can find me on amberradical.com, A-M-B-E-R-A-D-I-C-A-L, that's one R, dot com, and click any of those donate buttons to contribute to keep all of these great projects going. I'm here with my friend Richard. Hi. Hi. I'm so happy you're here. Um, We have, uh, I guess, a lot to talk about, but the reason that I brought you here is because part of this podcast, you know, I want to bring educational topics but we're not all um perfect educators right Right. but we have personal stories and that's really important and um i guess i just loved some of the things in your story that i happen to know personally because we're friends and i don't totally know where this conversation is going to go but i know a little bit about what you're going to talk about and so I just sort of want to get into it. So we have a little bit that we're going to share about your child. And then we have a little bit that we're going to go into about you. Okay. And um, I just want to talk about like your journey to become sexually liberated and all of the things that came, it came into that. So (laughs) thanks for coming today. Oh, no problem. Yeah. So, okay. Share a little bit about yourself that you're comfortable with so we can set the platform. Wow. Um, (laughs) So, my name's Richard. I am uh, getting up there in years a little bit, but I'm still very young at heart. And I feel like I'm a very lucky human being in that I got to reinvent myself in my 50s. And I'm Richard 2.0 at this point. I'm a whole different person to who I was. So different that my sexuality is completely different. But not just that, my eyes have changed color. I'm just not even the same person. And people that used to know me are, who are you? It's like, what have you done to yourself? Who are you? And for me, I think it was all about identifying all of my taboos, many of which were to do with sex, and shutting them all down and liberating myself so that I could just be the full me. Right. I, Not that age should really come into play too often but I think the thing that I love about our friendship is that okay I'm 28 and at 21 I thought I was in my sexual prime and at 23 I thought I was in my sexual prime and at 28 I think I'm in my sexual prime I must have it all figured out now and so to like have a friendship with you you be beyond those years and you're still finding new parts of yourself and still sexually liberating yourself that gives me hope like I love that I love that there's still so much more to my sexual life and so you're a great reminder of that but I let's start with kind of where your story began wow can you be a little bit more specific (laughs) I mean I was born okay so well (laughs) I guess I was going off how we were chatting before we started recording but um so you were married with a child when how old were you when you were married Um, I was 28 when I got married, and I had grown up in Australia in a small town in a predominantly white Christian environment, Um, fairly homogeneous community, small country town. I mean, it was a basic, simple life, and everybody was pretty much white bread, is how I would describe things. Not even very different from where we are now. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) And so... um, Went off to university in Sydney, had a great time as a, as a young adult, um, very much a 
heterosexual male. Um, do you feel like your parents were like sexually progressive or do you feel like they were really conservative? So I feel like they didn't talk about it. And as, you know, one of five children, we all assume that our parents had had sex five times because there are five <laughs> kids. And so they didn't display affection or sexuality between each other in front of us. But they didn't raise us to be homophobic or anything like that. They were very open about about those types of things. So I, I would say they were fairly progressive for that era. They were just sort of, we don't want to hear about it, but everybody's good to do what they want. Um, not even that they don't want to hear about it. We're not going to... They didn't kiss and cuddle in front of us or talk about you know their relationship, but... When things came up on the television or in conversation, they were just very matter-of-fact about that kind they of stuff. They didn't project their own modesty of their own relationship onto other relationships. Right, and I don't think that the taboos that I formed around my own sexuality were mostly from them. I think they just came from society at large. Interesting. Okay. See, I always feel like a, the, per, the parents play the biggest part, but I guess... Not always, right? Right. <laughs> so, but then you became a parent, and do you want to share, like, about that journey? Yeah, I became a parent in two ways. When I got married, uh, my wife had a nine-year-old daughter, and I adopted her. Um, and in every respect from that point forward, I was her father. You know, we, um, she changed her name and birth certificate and everything, and throughout that entire process, she never once played the card of, you're not my real dad. So I feel very lucky in that respect. Yeah. And then we also had a biological child um, who um, now has a child of her own, so I'm a grandfather at this point, uh, very happily so. That's so, so exciting. But um, I think that the rabbit hole that you want me to go down is more to do with my older child who at the age of, I'm going to say, 14, came to us one day and uh, said that she was gay or lesbian. And she fully expected us to kick her out of the house at that point. She had a bag packed already, and she just knew back then, this was quite a few years ago, um, 30 years ago, that, um, that that's what happened. If you were in any way outside of the, the binary construct then your parents kicked you out of the house and what's just, interesting is again the parents and their views didn't really play a factor in the in the person's um just like your parents may have been progressive but you still formed your own taboos from society right you were a welcoming parent but your child still felt an automatic fear right. And and part of that was just conditioning from talking to other people and seeing what was on the media. And this was in the very, very early days of the internet, so there wasn't much available in that regard. But we just gave her a hug and said, that's all right, come and give us a hug. We always thought you were because, I mean, the telltale signs had been there and we were perfectly fine with it. Yeah. Act it's actually, I think, less stressful to raise a lesbian daughter than to raise a heterosexual daughter. <laughs> that, that's a loaded topic and probably true. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. But yeah, okay, so that, you know, that's, that is great. But I think, um, I guess what I wanted to go into for listeners that I find like interesting about your story is that you were such an open parent to your child. They, they went through this process where f at first they came out lesbian, but then I, you know, I know fast forward that they come out as trans later and I guess the the story that I'm looking for here is that even in that moment, you were still holding your own taboos still for yourself. And I didn't know they were taboos. And so when I look at who I am now and what my sexuality is now, and just for the record, I guess pansexual would be the best description. I don't want to be put in a box. If you put a label on me and put me in a box, I'm just going to tear a hole through the side of the box. Well, pan but, is a great box to be in because it's the one, have. yeah. <laughs> right. And so I, people say to me, are you bisexual? And I'm like, no, if you're bisexual, you're drawing a line in the sand around yourself and saying, if you're outside of that line, then we can't entertain any prospects. So right. transgender people would be outside of that bisexual line. Intersexual people, all kinds of people would be outside of that line. Right. I'm on that journey myself because I've always identified as bisexual. Right. And it doesn't make sense because I have never been with a trans person yet 
But to say that I'm bisexual really eliminates the possibility, and it, it I'm not does. eliminating that it possibility does. And, at all. So. And same with uh, people have said to me, "Are you gay?" And I don't think of myself as gay at all. It's the least thing I think of myself as. And when I'm walking through the supermarket, I'm I think of myself as straight. I just present in society as a straight white guy, but that's not who I am now and when I look back on who I was back when I got married when I was raising our children and I try to layer pansexuality over that version of me over Richard 1.0 it's very it's very hard to understand was all of that being suppressed by my inner voice just telling me no all the time and I think it was I right. think that you every time you were pansexual time, then as well I think I I think well, my latest theory, which is fairly new, is that almost everybody has the ability to be pansexual, that it's conditioning that makes us not be. And as evidence to support that, if you go back to ancient Rome or ancient Greece, when there were no taboos around that, everybody had sex with everybody and didn't think twice about it. Yeah. And right now it's politically, I, I won't say incorrect, but politically a little bit dangerous to use the term um, your sexual preference because there's a school of thought that it's not a preference, I was born that way, it's hardwired into me. But if you then go one step further and assume that everybody, in fact, can be pansexual, then you can have a preference. You might be pansexual with a preference for gay sex or a preference for straight sex or a preference for three ways or a preference for exhibitionism or whatever. So in that context, I think that preference is okay. So if you go back to, to ancient times when there were no taboos, people went with their preference, but people did all kinds of things with all kinds... Well, they did things with animals too, but let's not go there. But, <laughs> and so I think that humans are a very sexual species, and Puritanism has locked us down so tight that we can barely do anything without an inner voice telling us no. Right. And I want to get into the inner voice, but I, I want to backtrack a little bit to when your child came out as trans. And mm -hmm. I want to know uh, how you felt about your child, but then how you were still feeling about yourself. Interesting. So at that point, transgender was a fairly new concept. A right. New this topic. was in 2000, we were saying. This was in the early 2000s. And and I'm going to leave names out of this, but of our course. daughter, um, who had been a lesbian for quite a few years by that point and had many girlfriends, suddenly turned up one Christmas with a boyfriend. And we thought, oh, interesting, didn't see that coming. And we came to learn that, that uh, this particular boyfriend had uh, transitioned from female to male. And then it made perfect sense to us, but we still had to get our heads around it. And it's not that we were closed to it. We were just ignorant about it and had never contemplated all of the things that come with that. And with you had already settled on on one journey. You were like, right. okay, our daughter's a lesbian. Mm -hmm. So that you were just thinking that that was that. You weren't expecting a change. But interestingly, now that you bring that up, I hadn't thought about that particular aspect. She was going through transitions, not just in her gender, but in her sexuality and in her personality and in who she is at her core. And that, in a way, was a great example for me that, sure, I can do that too. I right. might have done it 20 years after that. That who you are isn't completely permanent right, to some degree. Right. Right. Whereas I think for a lot of people it is. I've noticed that a lot of my old school friends, when they got to – 50 they're like yeah i've done everything i can really do that's fun i'm just going to sit on the couch and watch television and coast downhill till i die yeah and but that's, that's like, that no, is a choice no, get off the couch get off the couch isn't contentment and stagnation a choice in itself too though right. so it's like well you're resisting a change that could possibly be yearning inside too that we all have but you're ignoring it not that you're not having it right but i, I just feel sad for them because they're on a slope that's going downwards and I'm on I'm still climbing up the mountain and so to me who knows what I might do 10 years from now having seen what I did in the last decade of my life I just have a mindset of wow where's it going now right so what were some of your taboos for yourself still at the time when your child transitioned 
So I, I was happily married at the time and wasn't thinking about my own sexuality. Because you were happily married. So I was happily married in a, in, a, in a completely monogamous relationship. Neither of us had any affairs or even thought about it. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't something that we thought about. And as a typical married couple, as every year or decade went by, we kind of did it less and less and less. And, and to be honest, I was very conservative, my sexuality. And I didn't want to do anything kinky. I didn't want to do anything. I mean, just to give you an idea of how conservative I was, when we'd been married maybe 10 years, my wife brought home some um, this massage oil that, that had a warming effect and, and, you know, massaged me with it. And I thought that was kinky. I thought that was like a little bit deviant. And, um, and, and so, I mean, I went beyond the missionary position, but not far beyond yeah. it. And, and I just thought that's what you did. And I was content enough with that. So did your marriage end, uh, like for sexual reasons or? No, it was a good marriage. And I, I can only remember us fighting maybe two times in 19 years. And that was over finances. That was the most stressful thing between us. But I just felt like we'd grown apart emotionally and I didn't have anything that was me in our marriage. I was a good husband and a good provider but all of my energy went to providing and right. there was nothing, I was lost in there. I didn't know who I was. In fact, when we separated and, and I was the one who, who uh, played that card, when we separated, it was right after our younger child had left home, gone off to college, I, I spent the next year dating myself, getting to know who I was, and I didn't even know what color towels to buy or what kind of music I liked. I knew nothing about myself. It's a, I tell everybody that they, everybody needs that experience at least once in their life right? to, to reset and build your own pieces with no external influences. Right. And so I lived alone in an apartment, which I still live in 12 years later. I, um, I guess I'm happy there. But I just spent a year getting to know myself. And, and the other thing I worked on for that first year or two was I had a crippling fear of nudity, which kind of plays into my sexuality as well. And I had no problem being naked in bed with my wife, but... I couldn't get changed at the gym, for example. I was so afraid of being seen naked in public. Um, this, this still brings me back to like your child transitioning and you being hung up on your own nudity and still having so much like heart and soul that like accepting your child was just like not even a hesitation. Isn't that, I, I mean, I love it, but it's always, it's surprising to me. Yeah. Uh, that you didn't project that onto your child. I think that's such a rare... Right. And, and I remember absolutely not having any taboos that I wanted to put on my child. Right. Like subconsciously you knew not to do that for them. Right. But you sat in your Interesting. Still I hadn't really thought of it from that angle, but yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, so at some point, you know, you amicably left your partner for mm -hmm. just outgrowing reasons, nothing right. horrible, nothing to even really do with your sexuality. And we're still friends. I still love her like a sister, but she's not, I, I don't, I'm not in love with her. I relate to that 100% with my ex, but, um, there was some sort of transition where you went from being a, straight man to not and now that i have the luxury of time and i've looked back through my younger years as a child and as a teenager i can see the markers that were there that i was always pansexual but i always shut down any thought or any concept or any anything in my life that could lead um, off that straight path that i never even gave it a chance to breathe and i wonder had i learned this about myself earlier would my younger years I think they would have been completely different but it was really after getting divorced that and after tackling my fear of nudity that took me into a new world for example hot springs I started going to uh, rustic hot springs out in nature where other naked people that I didn't know were around and 
once I got over the anxiety and fear of it and started feeling comfortable, I met some of the most interesting people. And they were people that weren't from my previous life. They came from walks of life that had been shut off to me. And they opened my eyes to new things. And one of those was Burning Man, which played a big part in turning me into who I am now. Um, and so really it was that conquering my fear of nudity put my foot through the door into another world, and that was the beginning of Richard 2.0. Right, and I, I ho- uh, if you don't want to share this, that's okay, but um, I felt like the pivotal moment that you tend to bring up when you're like, this is, you know, was when you met your, I believe they became a partner of yours for a while, but they, you met a trans person and... Oh, actually, no, um... So he wasn't trans, uh, he was in drag. Uh, right, okay. Um, so I, I think you're uh, mixing two. I, we've I told might. a lot of stories we have. Uh, over we're, a few We're two drinks. good of friends, uh, right, exactly. <laughs> so um, I think you're mixing a few stories there. But but, but yeah. I, I love how your, your eyes light up, though, when you talk about this, because it was one of those moments where you're like, why do I think the way that I think, right? Right. And, and so some of those some of those pivotal moments I, I think is what I'm interested in because I think that there's a lot of men like you who are suppressing something in them. Oh, totally. And come, Absolutely. come from a society that hasn't equipped them with like any sort of uh-huh. um guided process of how to like unravel that. And so, you know, I val I value your story here. So <clears throat> No, it's. Um, I think it's absolutely true that the vast majority of people um, that you would meet in this particular town are, are very much locked down and can't do the things that they might perhaps want to do. And I used to be very locked down, and I went through a few years where I was in a transitionary phase where I missed out on a few interesting opportunities for relationships because my inner voice said no that's not for you and one of those was with a transgender woman that I met at Burning Man who I would have to say was the most beautiful human being I have ever seen she was a young black woman from the Bay Area who had this electric smile that her eyes would just flash and you couldn't help smile in return when she looked at you and um, she just had these glorious high cheekbones and she had these super perky breasts with this, I'd call it a swimmer's physique. She had this nice muscularity to her, but with a soft layer over the top of it. That's right. This was your across-the-room moment uh-huh. where the person just glowed and, and everyone disappeared. And I was actually um, there with my ex-girlfriend, and we were doing the naked pub crawl at, at Burning Man, and we saw this young woman, June was her name, and we both said, oh, my God, that is the most beautiful person I have ever seen. Uh, my ex-girlfriend and I both, like, immediately reacted to her in that way. And she was just glorious. She had this perky butt, and she had full male genitalia, and she was just standing there naked, being completely comfortable with who she was. And she, um, as it turns out, had grown up in a religious family, and they had kicked her out of the house when, when she transitioned. But she was comfortable with who she was, and we hung out for hours just drinking and talking and laughing. But my inner voice said, well, now you need to go because you can talk to this person and you're fine with who they are, but you could never be in a relationship with this person because they've got a penis. And the next morning I woke up and I thought, why the hell did my inner voice tell me that? That's not in my best interest. I wish I could have gotten to know this person better. Who knows where that might have led? And that was one of the first really strong cases of where I thought to myself, my inner voice is not my friend. I I don't know who it is, but why would it say that? And the same thing happened a year later at Burning Man, or maybe it was the same year. Um, A few days later, I sat next to um, a woman... um, to watch the temple burn, which is the last big burn of the event. And it's it's usually a fairly quiet and spiritual thing to watch the temple burn. It's a massive fire with 10,000 people sitting around it. Yeah. But everybody is, it, is there not in the party mode they were the night before when the man burns, but it's more a spiritual thing. It's a let go, uh, isn't and, it? It's, a, it's supposed to be the ending. Yeah. And, and a lot of people do attach a deep spiritual significance to it. And I've got other stories on that topic, but um, that will save those for another time. But this particular woman, 
I knew there was something about her that was not binary, not traditional. She was she was six feet tall, um, and she certainly had a, a masculine physique. And I, you know, started talking to her, and I said, "Can I ask you a personal question?" And her eyes just lit up, and she said, "Please do." And that's so Burning Man is you can't walk up to someone in Walmart and, and do that, but you can at Burning Man. And I said, um, what gender are you? And she said, I'm intersexual. And back in the day when I was a kid, that's what um, we called hermaphrodite. But that's not a popular term these right. days. I'll, I'll insert here for listeners who don't know, one in 1,500 people are intersex. So that's as many people as are redheads. I know. It's crazy that people don't know that. I knew that at the time because a week earlier I'd been getting a haircut and while I was waiting I read a magazine story (laughs) about intersexual people and it it said, you know, that the same percentage of people are intersexual as are redheads and everybody's met or knows redheads. So the truth of it is you have met or you know intersexual people you just don't know they are. Right. And sometimes they don't know they are because there are all these different... Such a spectrum of how the genitalia is Yeah, there's like 11 different, different identifications where it might be that you're a male a who has ovaries or you might be a female who hormonal. has internal testicles that are tiny but they're there and they're right. producing testosterone. And the hormones play a, you know, right. a whole spectrum role in that. And yeah. Exactly. Or it could be that you've got, you know, that visually you can see that you've got male and female parts and yeah. and most people honestly are grossed out by that and and would be turned off by it and i i was kind of curious at the time but my inner voice said you can talk to this person but and you know she was there with her boyfriend and he just looked like a regular straight guy and and i was thinking wow he he's a better person than i am he's dating this woman um knowing he that, went for what he wanted without right. giving into and, in and my state. inner voice said but you could never do that because this person's intersexual and again the next morning i'm like why would my inner voice do that to me and so that's when i developed this concept of, of really identifying my inner voice the moment it speaks up and just saying shut the fuck up inner voice and th- i do that all the time now and if my inner voice says no to anything I'll do it whether or not I wanted to do it just because my inner voice said no. Right. It, you know, we do have these moments where we're like, you know, you could have been born with both genitalia. Mm-hmm. Maybe you even have both and you still don't know, you know. Yeah, and so it could be. there's this aversion to what we don't know, but that's all that it is, is that we just don't know. And the other thing is, I think that just growing up in rural Australia um, in the 60s, and Australians are... Very much like Americans, but I think they're, they perhaps have some differences insofar as their perception in my generation of what sex was all about. But for me and my friends, I don't know where we got this from, but it was all about the conquest of fucking women. I mean, that's what sex was for. It well, was I for assure having... you that's the American mindset oh, as okay. well. <laughs> There's no difference there. And And so if you look at somebody who's transgender or who is intersexual, then... There's a problem. If your mission is to chalk up as many, you know, women that you fucked as you can, and we're talking just vaginal sex with nothing, you know, obviously head jobs, hand jobs, all of that stuff, but when anal sex was not on the table, you know, that was not something that I would have ever considered. Right. And in fact, even once, um, to tell you how prudish I was in my married life, um, I when, love this story. I already when, know. When I was, um, before we were married, um, my wife and I, you know, we were having, uh, my fiance and I at the time, we were having sex and she reached around with a finger and got too close to my butthole and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> She's like, I'm just being sexy. And I'm like, well, don't do that again. <laughs> 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 you were dangerously close and nothing's going there. And and so that's how prudish and straight and, you know, how tightly locked down my mindset was. And when your mindset is that tightly regulated, you can't entertain the idea of doing half of the things that, that people do. And it was really realizing that my inner voice was just a, a big set of taboos and one by one I had to peel them apart and discard them. And once I did that, now when I look at people 
who are not necessarily binary in their orientation or in their, their gender or sexuality in any way. I'm not looking at it through the filter of, well, I can't have vaginal sex with them as in a male-female relationship, so I have to walk away. I'm now looking at, wow, I've never met somebody like that before who has this particular set of human features. I wonder... I wonder what they enjoy. I wonder how I wonder what they're looking for. I wonder what their relationships are shaped like. And so it's the curiosity that has come out that was suppressed before and to be honest so far I haven't found a single human being that I can't have a relationship with now. Right, once once you break And there's that always down. a way you can connect both obviously you can connect emotionally um but you can also connect sexually with anybody it doesn't matter who they are or what what pieces they have what i find really beautiful about this like um this is just me reading your your story from the outside but i love that this person essentially taught you like this huge life lesson out of grief like this person made you grieve an experience that you prevented yourself from having and we often like um we often enable ourselves to not take on opportunities. And so like if we pass someone on by because we judged them or, you know, hung on to our own stigmas or whatever it was, and we'll often make ourselves feel better about that loss by saying, oh, well, maybe they didn't matter. It doesn't matter. New, per- whatever. And instead you like you spent several days grieving at this experiencing wonder what you could have gotten out of it, wondering what you could have been for that person. And you were able to carry that on forward and say, like, I don't want to miss out again. Right. And I think that's really beautiful. <clears throat> and it played out about six months later. I was in the Bay Area. I had been my brother was visiting from Australia and we'd been out drinking and he had to get up early in the morning, so he, he called it a night at like 9 o'clock. And I thought, it's, it's a Friday night in the city. I'm not going to go to bed. I was staying at the Sheraton and um, right in downtown San Francisco. And so I, I jumped in a cab and went to a bar. Um, it, it's a bar called The Lookout. It's on Market Street, I think. It's not far from the Castro. And I walked um, upstairs. It's an upstairs bar with a balcony. And I walked up there and I didn't know anybody. And so I grabbed a drink, a gin and tonic, of course. And uh, I walked out into this crowd of people that were just laughing and having a good time. It looked like maybe they were an after work get together. It wasn't couples or anything. It was just a fun looking group of people, maybe 12, 15 people. And I walked right into the middle of them. And I said, hey, everybody, sorry, I'm late. And one of them just in a heartbeat said, yeah, we wonder where you were. And another one said, we were getting worried about you and looked at his watch. And, and the rest of them are like, do we know this person? <laughs> and it turns out not all of them knew each other. They were a group of people that were going to do a charity bike ride. And this was the first time they'd all gotten together. And it was mostly guys, but there were a few women there. Um, most of them were gay because it was an AIDS uh, awareness bike ride. Um, And so I just started walking around the circle introducing myself and I got to the fourth person and it was this super sexy young Asian guy in full drag, uh, like the flame orange wig with the, you know, full makeup and a a tight fitting top and a half tutu with leggings and six inch pumps and, and, um, and so I introduced myself and my inner voice said, move on now. It's like, this is somebody in drag. You, you've never talked to somebody in drag before. Um, go, go to the next person. And I said, shut the fuck up, inner voice. And I stayed talking to them for the rest of the night. I didn't ever make it to the fifth person. And that turned into a two and a half year relationship. I love that. And it never would have happened if I'd listened to my inner voice. Right. And... And do you, so you had had a lot of the Burning Man experiences leading Mm -hmm. up to that. Right. And, you know, you had a lot of experiences there that broke down some of your walls. Mm -hmm. And I just, I love that you've had so many things that led you to this journey. But, you know, uh, I almost wonder if like, if you got lucky, you know, (laughs) like you got lucky that you were able to have so many opportunities where people, um, loved you and showed you who they were and trusted you at their space. And I wonder if people in your position, like, I don't know if it's just that you have such a beautiful heart, you were able to make such a journey from being like, um, 
a straight white male with such taboo from society in in a time to being able to like claim pansexuality um, as an older gentleman now and a grandparent now in this time. I just don't know if everyone would make the same journey as you, you know, like, I don't know if it's your beautiful heart or is it, uh, I feel like you're, you're a rare breed, you know? Well, well, thank you for saying that. (laughs) (laughs) And to be honest, um, Burning Man was definitely a catalyst that moved me along a lot faster. Would I have gotten to the same place without it? Possibly not. Do you feel like breaking your heart open, like really came down to you just telling your inner voice to shut up? I I think that it it took years really to realize that it even was my inner voice because I had always thought that that was me. I'd always thought that that was the inner me and right. it's not. I mean you have you have multiple inner voices. You have a survival inner voice that stops you falling off cliffs and things like that and you should absolutely listen to that one cuz that that one's trying to protect you. Right. Um but you have um you have your inner narrator, which is a different voice, which is where you're telling your own story to yourself to reinforce it. And that one's a notorious liar. Your inner narrator will lie to you and tell you that you did a great job when you didn't, just so that your story sounds good in your own head. And then you per- you perpetuate that story to everybody you meet. And so many of the things I'm saying to you are coming from my inner narrator. And it's it stitched all the stories together so they make sense and, and right. I can feel good about myself. So that, sure, listen to that inner voice. But the inner voice that is the taboo master, that's the specific one that I'm talking about. And I can remember the very, very specific situation when I first told it to shut the fuck up. And I think I've told you this story. Do you want to hear this one again? Yeah, tell me. Okay. So again, it was a burning man. Because again, I I want my male listeners especially to, I feel like men and women in society have a different journey to sexual liberation. And so like, this is where like, I want men to hear like, how, yeah, how, how did your inner voice? Okay. So this was when I would still characterize myself um, as a straight guy. I had become a nudist. Um, Not only did I overcome my fear of nudity, I embraced it to such an extent that I live a very nudist or naturist lifestyle. And at Burning Man, if it was warm and I didn't need clothes, I I would just wander around naked. Um, And I went... um, At Burning Man, if you see a group of people lined up, it's not a bad idea to get in line. You don't know what it is, but if people are lining up for it, it's probably going to be good. And so I saw a short line of people. And You're I such thought, an opportunist. <laughs> I thought, what's going on here? And it turns out it was a, um, a large tent that was a portrait studio. But instead of taking family photos, it was a genital portrait studio. They only took photographs of your genitals. I love that. And you could go in alone. You could go in as a couple. You could do a family shot if you wanted to. Um, you could be having sex. It didn't, they didn't care. They were just going to ha- have a photographer um, take a photo of your genitals. These are like the dick pics I want to get. <laughs> and while you're waiting in line, they, they were serving pina coladas. So win-win. <laughs> And so I got in line, and this is a large open floor plan tent, and there were three photographing areas. One had a mattress, one had a bean bag, and the other one had a couch or something. And there were three photographers, and they were just using their iPhones. Yeah. And so it got to be my turn, and I was uh, I got the mattress. So I went over and, and uh, got on the bed, and he said, uh, for guys, it's best probably if you lie back with your feet over the end of the bed, and um, you know that puts you in a good light. And, and so he took the photograph and and I had been thinking while I was drinking waiting in line and I completely forgot but I thought I wanted to get my photograph with a boner and so I said oh man I missed it I was going to get a photo with a boner and he said oh we, we got time we can do that and he said hold on I'll get a fluffer and I knew what a fluffer was in the porno industry when the male actors are standing around waiting for the the next scene if it's cold, they shrivel up, and so a fluffer comes in and plumps them up a little bit, you know, stretches them out and gets a bit of blood circulating down there so that they present nicely on, on camera. I thought, okay, a fluffer, some girl's going to come out and give me a boner, and then we'll take the photo. Sounds great. And so I'm watching um, the photographer come back, thinking he's coming back with a young girl who's going to fluff me up, and he came back with a young guy. And granted, he was a very good-looking guy in his 20s, uh, very 
I don't know, pleasing on the eye, I would say, even as a straight guy. Um, and my inner voice said, oh, no, <laughs> th this isn't going to work. And I'm looking around the tent, and I'm a bit of an exhibitionist, although I wouldn't have necessarily keyed in on that back then, although I, I probably knew inside that yeah. I was. And um, I'm looking around the tent in this open floor plan, and there's a group of people watching, and I'm fine with that. And I'm thinking, I don't know any of them. None of them know anybody I know. Nobody's ever going to know about this. So let's remove that from the equation. Why is my inner voice telling me no? And I, I actually said in my head, shut the fuck up, inner voice. I'm going to do this. And this young guy um, reached down and, and started giving me a head job. And I boned up in like, three seconds and 45 seconds into it I'm like you better take the photo now it's <laughs> it's now <laughs> or it's going to be over and so the young guy pulled out of the shot and the photographer came in and he took the photo and it was a very flattering photo I have to say and then the young guy looked me in the eye and said do you want me to finish that and it had never even occurred to me that somebody would want to do that it's like I I honestly don't like sucking dicks but it never occurred. I thought nobody in the world did. And I've learned <laughs> recently that all kinds of people really, really do like to do it. Yeah, of course. And, and I'm like, yeah. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so he comes in and finishes the job and it was amazing. And I'm thinking to myself, if I hadn't said shut the fuck up in a voice, I would not have had that experience. Right. And then the photographer went off and developed the photo and they laminate it and give it to you. And he came over and he gives me the photo and says, that came out really good. And then he leaned in and whispered in my ear. He said, it was so hot watching my boyfriend blow you. It was their boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I and it's love like, that. oh, wow, there's a whole world out there that is not, uh, for one, I didn't know people liked sucking dicks. And for two, I didn't know people <laughs> shared do. their boyfriend to suck other people's dicks. And it was like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, shut the fuck up in a voice. This is going to be a wild ride. And, and that was um, six months before I, um, I, the story I just told you in, in the pub meeting um, the young Asian guy in drag. Yes. And so that set the stage for, um, for being able to do that. And if I think of all the opportunities I would have missed in my life had I not learned to do that, um, it's just amazing to me. Well, and I have to call you out because I know you, so I happen to know that there's now a collection of these dick photos. So you've gone back for this experience. You've gotten more than one photo taken, right? Oh, at the Genital Portrait yes. Studio? Yeah, I went back the next year <laughs> and <laughs> got another one. But what, what but, I was going to say... But I didn't... No, nobody sucked my dick that year, so there you go. <laughs> well, you still went back for the photo. you got to right. get the next year's, uh -huh. next year's photo. Right. Uh, what I was going to say, though, is that, you know, talking about that inner voice, I've always felt like the inner voice is just all the external voices that we that we consume that we consume in media that we consume sure. from our family I think that's from where society a lot of them come from. Mm -hmm. and then that's also in there with our inner voice that's just us mm -hmm. and that's constantly battling and working itself out and, mm -hmm. and on its own personal journey and so what's interesting is like in that moment when you were looking around in the room the thing that you said was holding you back was well, do I even know these people? They're never going to see me again it all came down to all like all of those people and their possible opinions and and that and when you shut that out and all that was left was your voice you wanted it right and so that just is further proof that your inner voice is so much of external voice and you know it's a form of peer pressure had it been people that i knew um even granted they would be at burning man in a tent at a general <laughs> portrait studio but even <laughs> even if i hadn't well i don't know that's an interesting one but yes Step one was to surrender to the situation insofar as no one in my day-to-day -day life is going to know about this because anonymity is a nice cloak to be able to put on to allow you to try something you wouldn't ordinarily try. Right. It because really if you have much... regret, then you don't have regret and everybody witnessing it. Right. And so you're not going to be shamed by anybody that you know. So that obviously makes it a lot easier, but you've still got to say shut the fuck up in a voice because your inner voice can still shut it down. Right. And I, I mean, I do want to 
I don't want to invalidate anyone's straightness, although like hot take, I think like on a personal level, sometimes I battle the same thought you do. Like, is, is, is anyone really straight, you know, or is that all just taboo? But I will never invalidate anyone's uh, labels that they that they want to claim. And I certainly don't want anyone to be pushing themselves sexually to do anything that they're truly not ready for or uncomfortable with. But it, but in the same breath, I want to say, take the plunge and try try something new because you have this whole life and your sexuality is a gift and there's so much to it. And like you've said, like, look at how many experiences you could have had all those other years too. I, I know that you're someone who's thought that. that right. You know, so. So when I'm... Uh- as a nudist or naturist, I spend a lot of time at a clothing optional resort uh, that I camp at. Um, it's in Northern California. And um, during the pandemic lockdown, I probably went out there 10 times for four or five day weekends, four or five, six days sometimes. Um, I have this huge yurt tent with full queen size bed and a kitchen area and a fully stocked bar. And, you know, it's I'm glamping. <laughs> and... It's a party atmosphere down there once the sun's gone down. Um, and so actually my best friends right now are people I met there naked. Um, and in particular, this is a younger black couple from um, from Sacramento. And I'm not going to use names, but he is the straightest person I know. <laughs> and he once told me this statistic that 99% of males at some point in their life will have bi-curious thoughts. And he pointed out very quickly that he was one of the 1% that, that is never going to have those thoughts. Interesting. And I always come back with yet, yeah. you know, and, and it's a gentle ribbing and, and he's half joking, but he is, he's extremely straight. I mean, he's in the lifestyle. He, he and his wife are swingers and they'll, you know, have multiple people in, in the bed, but the other guy better not touch, you know, it's, it's like that, that's kind of where his mind is. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. Absolutely no problem with that. And he has absolutely no problem with me doing what I do. We've become best friends. Right. Yeah. Like I said, I don't, I don't want to invalidate anyone's straightness, Mm -hmm. but, but I do, I feel like it's not even sexual progression wisdom as much as like from your perspective almost age wisdom and that you have lived so many lives already right you've you've lived many seasons and you've changed within those so many times that maybe you can look out on on the outside and say i remember when i said i would never have a bicarious thought either Right. right and and time really just gives us a lot right and I, I definitely had them, but my inner voice or my mind shut them down so quickly that they never really got to the point of being contemplated. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I appreciate everything that you shared today and brought. Like, I just, I value you and your story and your heart. And well, thank you. I love how you love humanity and your sexuality plays a role into that, of course. Like, we're sexual beings and so... I just love that you're open and, you know, I just feel like you're a breath of fresh air because I can have conversations with you that, you know, I can't have with everybody else. So, Well, good. And, I'm, you know, five years ago, I would not have been able to have this conversation and there wouldn't have been much content to it back then anyway. But I feel like part of, of removing those taboos and opening up my sexuality so I have no line in the sand drawn around me also liberates me to talk about it with like-minded people in a way that I never would have before. So thank you for giving me the opportunity and thank you for bringing some of the stories out. Right. Well, I I appreciate you. And like, and like I was saying, you know, age and maturity, like, you know, we, I didn't realize how much I was going to just grow in my twenties and I'm still so young. Right. And you're, you are a baby. I'm a baby. I would have to say 80% of the best sex I've had in my life was in my the second half of my 50s and right. so it it meant that I just recently turned 60 it meant that I am so excited to see where my 60s take me whereas most people are like all right I better get a walker now and have that hip replacement it's like nope uh, this is just the beginning right but um what I was going to mention though is that like but I'm still seeing okay so now there's 10 years of legally sexually active adults underneath me now mm-hmm. and I can look at those 10 years underneath me and go like 
first off, wow, you still have so much to go. But two, that that age group is these young people who are so much more open to trying new things, to trying new labels, to not restricting themselves. I feel like they don't have as much of like that toxic inner voice. That, oh, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. I'm- and I, and it comes down to your age group and even my age group, which is only 10 years older, like continually, um, you know, projecting out po- sexual positivity out into the world. And so like you sharing your story inspires me and my story inspires the 10 years under, you know, under me. And I've got a nine year old boy who I will never, um, I'll never say that he's going to be something, you know, at nine years old, but clearly like he's, you know, already come out to me of his sexuality and, you know, that's his to share. And I just, I see this age group already so different than when I was their age and I'm, we're making the world for them. And I see that my nine-year-old is going to be 18 in a world where he does not have to deal with as many walls projected onto us. Oh, absolutely. And And it's beautiful. Absolutely. And I'm at a 21-year-old a couple of weeks ago out at Laguna, and we had a great time together, and they were so open about things that uh, it's like they got to the same place I am at that age. Right. They're smarter than us, I swear. And I thought I was the most sexually progressive, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And I'm meeting same thing, 21-year-old girls or whatever, and I'm just like, wow, you have so much more figured out than I was able to at that age because of of those social... So my inner voice was is more toxic than theirs, you know, but we're eliminating that. So that was my whole point is you coming here today, you are, you know, a drop in the water changes, the drop in the ocean changes the weather. I really believe that you've done that for me. And I know that I can do that for other people. So thank you. Well, this has been fun. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I love you. I love you too. (laughs) All right. Thank you. And I just want to end this with a little opportunity for my listeners who may be battling some eating disorders. I have an episode coming in the next few weeks where I'm going to have a guest who is a trauma-informed nutritionalist. She's wonderful, and she's going to offer a lot of information there that I hope that you tune in and listen to. But before I'm able to get that recording out, she's already offering a four-week group in September for eating disorders. And so it's a free virtual support group starting September 7th. And I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of information on that so you guys can log in and you'll find me there because I'm going to be taking this class with her. We're going to be talking in the episode about how trauma can be linked to eating disorders. If you think you relate to that, she might be a really great option Trauma-induced eating disorders are going to be handled differently than eating disorders coming from other places. And so I really just trust her with this demographic, us. And so if you are interested, the first class starts September 7th, and then we have September 14th, the 21st, and the 28th. It's virtual online from 6 to 7.15 p.m. And I'm going to be putting the link to the Google event in the link tree on my Instagram, on the Sex Without Fear Instagram. And if you can't find it there for some reason, reach out to me personally and I will get that Google link for you to all of the classes. But yes, Tuesday nights, free virtual support group. The first um, the first group is going to be called How to Be Happier with Your Gut and the Microbiome and Mood. She's going to be covering debunking popular diets and why the internet is a liar, gender, gender identity, sexuality and eating disorders, and then the final class is Connecting with Your Body. Uh, you can participate on camera or off. Um, it's going to be great. So let me know. Her name is Naya, and she's a registered dietitian and nutrition therapist. You can find more on her website at www.nutritionwithnaya.com. And I bet she's probably going to have the Google link right on her website too. So it might be even better just to go right there and get all your information from her. And I so look forward to my interview with you, Naya. I can't wait to get this out. This is going to be such great information for you guys. See you there.